0: You are back for another round at The Hurt Take. I am your host, Reese Dobigan. Welcome back, Fight Fiends. Woo! Another weekend. Another weekend of good fights. This one, UFC Norfolk. Alright, I apologize to all resident Norfolkians for mispronouncing the name of your town. Honestly, I don't know how to pronounce this name. I've only seen it a few times in my life. Norfolk, I guess? Anyways. They had a card there this weekend. Norfolk, Virginia. Cool. Another fight card to fill the fight calendar. But this one actually had some pretty intriguing fights. Off the top, Dustin Poirier, Anthony Pettis, Matt Brown, Diego Sanchez, Andre Arlovski versus Junior Albini. Rafael Sansal versus Matt Lopez, Gleek Wieda versus Joe Lozon, Marlon Morayas and John Dodson. There's, there was some stuff going on on this card, man. Strong, Sean Strickland, Court McGee. There was some stuff going on this card. It was not a bad lineup, and in the end, it turned out to be a pretty good, pretty good night of fights. Admittedly, uh, Marlon Morayas and John Dodson was a. Very interesting fight, split decision. Uh two two judges had it going for Moraes thirty to twenty-seven and one had it going for John Dodson thirty twenty-seven. Again, who knows what the hell's going through the minds of these judges these days? Uh, cause that's a strange one. What the fuck? But anyways. Moraes recovers from a debut loss in the UFC. He needed that, man. He needed that bad because he's supposed to be a competitor. A bantamweight, and he needed this one to get up there. Uh, also a bantamweight, Rafael Sonsau defeated Matt Lopez via KO in the third round. Not bad. Sonsau has never really been confused with a big hitting kind of guy, but hey, man, get the knockout any way you can, put that on your resume, maybe keep people thinking about it. He's still sort of a forgotten way, uh, forgotten guy there. At Bantamweight, though. I mean, he's one of the top dudes, but you never talk about him when you talk about Bantamweight. You just don't. Everyone wants to talk about Dominic Cruz and TJ Dillashaw and Cody Garbrandt and, you know, Aljamain Sterling. Sun is legit. He is good. And that is a Shark Tank division. That might be that might be one of the, the deepest division in the UFC. It's probably the deepest division in the UFC other than the lightweight division. And a sense was one of the best in it. So shame he doesn't get more pub, but hey, I mean, he was buried on this card. He was, he was on, he was, what was he though? One, two, three, four, five, the fifth fight on the main card. That's not the best thing in the world, but hey, Clay Guida came out and defeated Joe Lozon via TKO in the first round. That was interesting. Guida, of course, is, is 35. He's been around forever uh lozon is sort of a a bonus ufc bonus check fan favorite kind of guy guida is a fan favorite too he just you know hasn't fought like it in recent years but nice to see him around maybe he'll maybe he'll get another fight i don't see i mean he's not gonna push for anything he's gonna he's kind of in that joe lozon territory you could see guida fighting fun fights as the intro on a main card over and over and over again for a while good to see him around andre arlovsky uh you know what a stinker that was first you had junior albini never heard of the guy looks like the pillsbury Doughboy. just terrible body and then he was like hiking up his shorts like he was wearing the board shorts but it was like he wanted to have them like be like swim trunks so he'd hiked them up and kind of rolled it was weird it was just kind of weird look like he was wearing really dumpy underwear like Tidy Whitey is so strange. Either way, boring fight. But Matt Brown beating Diego Sanchez. Diego Sanchez is so irrelevant in this sport right now, but the UFC still trots him out because of the name recognition. Guy's a wing nut. No good. Should retire. And this is just another indication of that. And Matt Brown, who won the fight via a violent. Elbow TKO, as he is wont to do. We love Matt Brown, the immortal, because of stuff like that. He brings it, and he always has just such violent, violent clinch game. That that elbow is huge. Knock Diego Sanchez, walk off, hit him with it, that was it. That was all she wrote. Matt Brown is the one retiring. So I don't know what to say about that. The guy, the guy who won this fight and seems like he could still hang, he's the one retiring. Diego Sanchez, meanwhile, who knows what the fuck is going through that guy's mind. I swear he's drinking herbal tea from India or something hallucinating half the time. Either way, off the top of the card, Dustin Poirier absolutely worked over Anthony Pettis. Oh, man. It is, it is, I mean, the story here to me, because kind of until Poirier really establishes himself as you know, a consistent top five guy, you know, he's worked his way up there, but had some, had some roadblocks and, you know, hit some roadblocks at featherweight, hit some roadblocks at lightweight. Um, but dude is getting better every single fight. Um, just such a good fighter. So fun to watch. But the story here to me was Anthony Pettis and just how far he has fallen. It's remarkable to me this guy was on a Wheaties box he was seen as this next great marketable star he could finish fights off his back he could finish fights on the feet he was dynamic he was exciting and now what what is he I think he's lost I think he's lost something like seven of his last eight if I'm right let's look this up because he he's just fallen off it's like nobody's scared of him anymore it used to be that you know you'd fight you'd fight Anthony Pettis, and there was some fear there. He was a he was a, a next level athlete. I think injuries have really robbed him of that, and no one's afraid of him afraid of him anymore. And when you're not afraid of a guy, you can work your game plan. You can do almost anything to them because you're not you're not afraid they're gonna they're gonna be able to just roll you over. Okay, so he's lost one, two, three, four, five, five of his last seven since losing the the lightweight belt. He's lost five of his last seven man gosh i don't know and and it's disappointing it really is disappointing but you know that's the reality he dropped down to featherweight that didn't he lasted two fights there and jumped back up i mean that's i don't know seems like the end for him meanwhile for dustin poirier this is a hell of a launching off point i think here hell of a launching off point the last loss he had was against Michael Johnson. That was uh the about a just over a year ago. Uh since then, you know, he had a no contest against Eddie Alvarez because of a of, a, of an illegal knee. Uh, he's already ca- called out Alvarez, said he's a cheater, deserves to get that rematch. I'd watch that rematch. I think Alvarez is I think Alvarez is lined up for a fight right now though, if I'm right. I think he's lined up against someone I don't know who it is. He's up against someone soon here, but I would I would I would watch that fight. I would watch that fight. You know, because Poirier was doing he was doing well in that Alvarez fight until then. You know? And he's you know he's he's really famous because he was kind of the launching off opponent that Conor McGregor took out at featherweight, sent himself into the stratosphere, and that is that is one of only two losses that Poirier has had in the last three years. He's won one, two, three, four, five, six. He's won six, lost two in a no contest in the third. I mean, the guy's legit. He's getting better in his hands. His, stri- his striking is fantastic. And in this fight, he showed off how good his grappling was. So that was, that was nice to see. I think Dustin Poirier definitely deserves to get a top guy here. Uh, but hey, man, again, lightweight is a shark tank. Lightweight is a shark tank. There are a lot of guys in there vying, vying for Conor McGregor's belt or Tony Ferguson's interim belt or whatever you want to call it. There's a lot of guys in line. All right. Enough, enough with the Norfolk. Let's move on to something new. What else is happening? Oh, this was something. This was great to see. Anderson Silva, the spider, one of the greats of all time, has failed a USADA drug test and is out of UFC Shanghai's main event. Wow. Uh, Just, just brutal. I mean, this is, this kind of hit with a bit of a thud because, you know, he's not the same fighter he was when he was dominating the sport. Um, but he's still Anderson Silva, man. He's still the man. And that last, that last failed drug test when he was making his comeback after breaking his leg against Chris Weidman, that was bad enough to call into question some things about Anderson Silva's legacy. But this second one, boy, I mean, the first time was the whole penis pill thing that, you know, that's bad. This one though, boy. This is this is not fun to see. Um This is probably going to result in a lengthy suspension. And at 42, who who's who knows who's to say he's, he's going to be able to come back. It 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 definitely has to call into question his legacy. Obviously, you can't take away all of his wins on on his record. But is it reasonable to start putting an asterisk beside asterisks beside them? I mean, this is twice now. Late in his career that he, that he's failed. Is this a, is this the narrative of an aging fighter trying to keep it or is this the fighter of bad behavior, bad choices catching up to him? And he's been doing this for a while and just never got caught. You know, I I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I I will say considering one of his greatest attributes was his reflexes. Uh, he was a count, pure counter-striker. Never really needed strength all that much. Never, you know, no, wasn't necessarily an endurance fighter. Never needed PEDs that way. I don't know how much it influences that. I mean, some people will think that it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter if you took him, you took him. It doesn't matter if it really benefits what you're great at or not. You took him. You know? Yeah. But this does not look good. This is uh this is really disappointing. Really, really disappointing. But coming out of that, he was supposed to fight Kelvin Gaslam in about two weeks here. Instead, our boy Michael Bisbang steps up to take the fight. And I like this move. I like this move. I feel like part of the problem, Michael Bisbang, the reason he got a lot of shit when he was the champion of the middleweight division was because that was never really what was the appeal of Michael Bisbing. That wasn't his role. Michael Bisbing was the guy who you brought in. He was he was an action fighter. He was a a guy you bring in who always brought the best out of his opponents. He was a guy you brought in to really make things interesting. And that's what this is about. He would fill in on on fights. He would take almost any fight And it was just, as champion, he didn't have that. It seemed like he was picking and choosing fights, which is the complete opposite of what was really interesting about Michael Bisping, was he was going to fight anybody. You know? Then as champion, he was fighting Dan Anderson. And he was picking and choosing fight with GSP. So it's fun to see him kind of, I don't know, go back to the old Michael Bisping in a way. So it'll be exciting to see him fight Gastelum. be a huge test for Gastelum. Gaslam, as you know, no friend of the show. Always putting his worst foot forward. It seems like when he's missing weight, you know. We love Kelvin Gaslam when he does the right things, but man, he he just does not do the right things often enough. So we will be uh, interested to see what he does against Kelvin Gaslam in uh, just about two weeks. Here, it'll be a real test for Gaslam. You know, we'll get to see if he's making that advance. If he can if he can put away Michael Bisbang, if he can get a victory over Michael Bisbang, you know, we're talking about probably talking about a, a, a true contender. I think he's still undersized for this division, as his fight with Weidman was a, a sign of against the bigger dudes in this division. He's not going to be able to hang with them. But Bisbang is good, uh, a good matchup that way. Bisbang, as we saw against GSP, is not a uh, terrifying physical presence. You know, if this was Gaslam against a Luke Rockhold or a Yo Romero, you know, it'd be a completely different story. But against Bisbing, that's that's a nice little matchup for him. So I'm looking forward to see that. Not as much as I wanted to see Silva versus Gaslam, but hey, you know, Anderson wanted to get erections again or some bullshit. Took his penis pills. Who knows? What an idiot! What an idiot! Anyways, moving on from that. Some rare bit of Bellator news to talk about here, people. Bellator is going to crown their new heavyweight champion. It's been three years since the last heavyweight title fight uh, happened in Bellator. Well, they're going to do an eight-man Grand Prix next year to crown the new champ. And it is an interesting lineup of people. It's kind of a, of a strange... I mean, you know, the UFC fingerprints are all over it. I think... Oh, how many of these guys? Six of the eight guys are former UFC fighters. Uh, a bunch of them are, are not natural heavyweights. It's almost like they threw in the all the, the heaviest guys with the biggest profile that they could. Fedor will be in it. I mean, always great to see Fedor walk out there and step in a cage, even if... You know, he is way past what he used to be. Frank Mir will make his uh, Bellator debut in in Bellator uh, in this tournament. Roy Nelson will be in it. Matt Mitrione. I mean, those those dudes could, could still throw down an entertaining scrap in the UFC at the top level. So having them in this tournament will be nice. But meanwhile, you got light heavyweight champion Ryan Bader will be getting swolled up for this thing as well as uh lightweight guys like Quentin Jackson, Muhammad Lawal and the gangster of West Lynn, Jail Sonnen, the American gangster. Uh weird, weird strange lineup, honestly. Um I don't know what benefit there is for a guy like Ryan Bader going in there against some some of these bigger dudes yeah i i don't i don't know i mean this is this will be exciting a lot of people really miss the pride grand prix-esque days um i don't know about how i feel about this one it feels a bit like a marketing gimmick but hey you know bellator's got to make noise somehow and this is a way to do it and there's a lot of guys there's some interesting kind of narrative matchups in here guys with history um Quentin and Muhammad Lawal don't like each other. Uh, you know, Matt Mitrione is always interesting when he's lined. Roy Roy Nelson is an interesting personality. Chael Sonnen against anybody will make noise. Whether it will have any impact on the landscape of the sport, who knows. And, of course, because it's a tournament, one or two of these guys are bound to get hurt and need a replacement. So that'll be fun to, to see, whoever steps up. But hey, good for Bellator. At least it's not a freak fight, right? At least it's not Shamrock and Hoist Gracie or some garbage like that. Get that shit out of here. Get that shit out of here. I'll take a tournament any day over that shit. Colby Covington is back in the news because he is hating on John Jones. I didn't know this. But Colby Covington went to the same university or college, I guess as John Jones. Iowa State Community College or Iowa Community I mean they were both JUCO champions at some Iowa University uh in wrestling. And Colby Covington apparently was John Jones's roommate. Which is very interesting. So I kind of think that I really, you know what Colby Covington Colby Covington had to say about John Jones I think holds water because, you know, as anyone can attest, you don't know someone until you live with someone. When you live with someone, you get to know them on a whole other level. You know how they respect other people's space. They know how how they respect their own space. You get to see how they respect kind of themselves. Uh, You know, who you are on a personal basis out in public is one thing. But who you are privately behind closed doors, that's a whole other world. And Colby Covington came out and just crushed him. Just crushed him you know, it's not a novel concept calling John Jones a fake, but Covington came out and said he was a fake Said in college. He was all about the partying and all about getting into bad behavior. Said he smelled, said he stunk, said he was dirty. Uh, then went on to say, Hey, you know, go, go do some more Coke, go cheat on your wife again, which I don't even I didn't even know if that was something that was kind of out there in the news. I have always wondered how could John Jones, he's got, he's got daughters. And then he's out doing all this stuff, and I'm thinking, like, how does he have daughters? And then he's out doing all these things. When is he at home? Who knows? Who knows? I'm not one to speculate on a guy's private life, but Colby Covington seems to have a window into that. And on the flip side, Colby Covington, damn. Cold-blooded, calling out John Jones, calling out almost anybody he can. Really trying to get that Woodley fight. Didn't do himself any favors with the, with the Maya fight, not looking the best in the world and that kind of thing. And you kind of feel like Tyron Woodley at this point is probably jockeying for a GSP fight, but hey, I'd pay to see Covington versus Woodley. Yes, you can market that stuff, man. That kind of has the potential to be a bit of like a Chael Sonnen-Anderson Silva-esque narrative where Covington is just rude and and saying all sorts of stuff about Woodley that's insulting and personal and it just makes the fight interesting. Former train, well, I mean, they trained at the same gym. Uh, Woodley goes down there to, to ATT all the time. I like this stuff. Very interesting. Good for Colby Covington, putting his name on the on the map. And I don't think anyone's going to fault him for going after someone like John Jones on a personal level. No one's really looking to stand up for John Jones. So, if you're going to make your name, if you're going to get your name in the headlines, this is a good way to do it. Now, this next fellow doesn't need any help getting into the headlines, but ha uh, seems to be getting into the headlines lately for all the wrong reasons. This week's Q rating is the notorious Conor McGregor, folks. Yes, that's right. The notorious Conor McGregor. His Q rating, I mean, come on, let's, let's be honest. The baseline for his Q rating is already in another world entirely from anybody else in this sport. What really can make that big of an impact? Well, I'll tell you what can. Making yourself an enemy of the commissions and making yourself the enemy of the... Big commissions. I mean here's the thing about this. Now the story is Conor McGregor at Bellator last week. Fight fight looks like it's ending. He opens the cage, runs into the cage to jump into the arms of his teammate. Mark Goddard, the referee, says, No, the fight's not over. You need to get out, and kind of brushes him out and says brushes him aside and says, You gotta get out. McGregor flips his shit loses it the video's online I suggest you go check it out if you haven't seen it goes after Goddard shoves him people are streaming into the cage apparently there were fans trying to follow McGregor into the cage whose security were having to restrain outside the cage then he slaps a Bellator official upside the head and generally just chaos ensues not a good look for Conor McGregor not at all well now the story has developed Andy Muzuli The Mohegan Sun Department of Athletic Regulation director, uh, the Mohegan Sun Department of Athletic Regulation was the uh, lead regulator for the fight card, seems to be working his influence, which includes litigation, he said on the MMA Hour with Ariel Helwani, uh, against Conor McGregor. He's also said he heard from UFC executives within hours of the fight denouncing McGregor's actions, and they say... That they were planning to get him on the December 30th UFC 219 card, but decided to pull him from it. So they pulled him from a card he had never been announced to have been on. So whatever punishment that is, okay. But Mazzulli is is also calling up other commissions. He's called up apparently Nevada, uh, New York, to talk about enforcing anything that, that McGregor gets, any punishments he gets with their commissions, because if the commissions don't all work, you can be suspended by one commission and not have that enforced in another. If you fought, say, in New Brunswick and got suspended in the New Brunswick Commission up here in Canada, Nevada can still commission, can regulate you. They can license you to fight. But it seems that Missouri is really trying to make something happen here. Now, McGregor has since come out and apologized, but in a very, very interesting statement, and that's largely what we're going to be doing the rating here. He apologizes to Mazzulli. He apologizes to uh, his opponent and his opponent's coach, uh, John Raymond and Andy Ryan, respectively. Doesn't apologize to Mark Goddard. And just the way that this statement is written is just cringeworthy you know a lot of MMA fighters could take some lessons in, in, in PR this is the worst approach to PR he says in his in his uh, re- a statement on Instagram first he mentions how many weight classes he's a champion as if that needs to be stated as if that matters in this situation he mentions all the great hats he wears professionally he's an executive producer a role model and public figure like geez prop yourself up more there Conor do you have an inflated opinion of yourself? The whole, the whole situation here is that McGregor's ego is out of control, that he thinks that he can do whatever he wants. And then in his statement, he basically goes on to confirm that he thinks he's amazing, and here's why. And then he doesn't apologize to Mark Goddard, the referee, who... If you have respect for... if he, McGregor tries to talk about how he is this... He's all about the sport. Well, there's a sanctity. You have to respect the referees. They're in there to keep people safe. They're in there to to enforce the rules. If you don't respect the referees, you don't respect anybody. But we do find out who McGregor respects and where his priorities lie. And this is not a new thing. This is not a surprise to anyone. But Con McGregor only seems to want to impress the wealthiest people in the room, the power brokers. He apologizes to Andy Mazzulli of the Mohegan Sun Department of Athletic Regulation. He apologizes to the money man. I mean, this is like ramming a car into your neighbor's house and apologizing to the home builder. Just, just ridiculous. Can't even defend his actions. Uses, uses the death of, uh, Hioa Carvalho, of course the fighter who died at a fight that he was attending against one of Conor McGregor's teammates, uses that as an excuse. Saying that he kind of ran in the ring and lost his temper because Goddard said that the fight wasn't over. And after seeing what happened to Carvalho, he didn't want to see a horrendous thing happening. Like, give me a break, Conor McGregor. Right. He doesn't care about that. He doesn't care about that. That's not why he ran in there. He ran in there because he thought his boy had won. And he didn't give two shits about the rules. He leapt into his teammates' arms. He was so happy. It was because Goddard told him he couldn't be there that he got pissed. That's when he got pissed. It wasn't because he thought the fight was going to continue. Now, who's to blame in this situation? Mohegan is blaming McGregor. McGregor seems to be blaming Goddard. And Andy Ryan, the coach of uh, John Raymond, seems to blame everybody, but especially Bellator. And meanwhile, doesn't make himself look any better because Ryan said that he would have waved off the fight anyways. His fighter, Raymond, got clocked right there at the end of the second round, and he said he wouldn't have let the fight carry on anyways. Kind of agreeing with McGregor's narrative, but come on, that is such horse shit. When was the last time a corner waved off a fight? Huh? When was the last time a corner waved off a fight? Get, they 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 would have got their guy back to the stool, sat him down, and said, "You good? You good? You good, kid? You ready to go? Let's go, kid." And they would have. Wa- Nobody throws in the towel anymore, so that's that's a bunch of crap. So here's the thing: Conor McGregor curating, undoubtedly down because if this leads to a suspension if this leads to a suspension it won't just be down, this will be a double down because Conor McGregor not in the sport is bad it is bad for business, it is bad for the sport let's hope it doesn't happen alright Fight Fiends, thank you for joining me for another round on the Hurt Take, the MMA podcast for the fans, by the fans, I have been your host Reese Dobigan. I'm out.